Lord, I ask that you would give us eyes that can really see. Pray that you give us ears that can really hear. And Lord, uh, help us to hang on to what's important. In Jesus' name, amen. Going through uh, the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark, uh, there's a lot of action that happens and takes place in Mark. And a lot of that action is centered around Jesus' miracles. And many of those miracles are Jesus healing people. And uh, I know that um, maybe for some of you, uh, it might be difficult uh, hearing these things and um, going through these because maybe you or maybe someone you know uh, is dealing with some sort of physical uh, disease or health struggle and you haven't been healed. And uh, I just want you to know that, uh, one, I, I, I just have to present the word as it is, and I can't alter it or change it. Uh, it's the truth. It's what Jesus did. And uh, I also want you to know that I understand. Uh, I have a 14-year-old daughter who struggles with MS. Um, this weekend being a particular weekend where she is really struggling with pain. And uh, I pray. I pray for her to be well, for it to be gone, uh, to never reappear again. But Jesus hasn't answered that prayer for me or my family. And, um, and so one thing that I do know, uh, though, is that I, I do believe that, that Jesus does heal people. And I do believe that he has the authority and power over physical, the physical world and the spiritual world. And, um, and so, uh, kind of like Romans says, against all hope, I still hope. And uh, that's the only place I can stand. Um, and, and with that, um, I also think of uh, the verse in Romans 8 where it just says um, that we who have the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons and the redemption of our bodies. And, uh, and for us uh, and for my daughter Annie, it might be waiting until that final day the redemption, redemption day, uh, where there's no more pain and MS is gone. So I just want you to know that uh, I believe that Jesus is with us in our suffering. He doesn't abandon us, and he's, we're not alone. Um, and there is hope. There's still hope in Christ. So Mark chapter 7 begins this way. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with unclean, that is, ceremonially unwashed hands. And then Mark goes on to explain this for all the Romans in the crowd and and all of us here. And uh, he says, the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders, instead of eating their food with unclean hands? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it is written, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. 
You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, Honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, Whatever help you might have otherwise received from me is korban, that is, a gift devoted to God, then you no longer let him do anything for his father and mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like that. And Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, it is what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. After he left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull? He asked, don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach and then out of his body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on, what comes out of man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of men's hearts come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. Hmm. Well, the Pharisees come to observe Jesus, but they aren't coming to observe and learn from the master. They're coming to critique. They're coming to compare Jesus, and they're not even going to compare Jesus to the Word of God. They're going to compare Jesus to their traditions. They're going to compare Jesus to themselves. This is the haughty position that these religious leaders come to Jesus in. And they're supposed to be teachers of the word, teachers of the law. Instead, they become protectors of the traditions of men or the tradition of the elders, as they called it. They don't dare ask Jesus, why aren't your disciples keeping the word or keeping the law? Instead, they ask, why don't they live, why don't they live according to the tradition of of the elders. Why don't they live according to our traditions? And Jesus blasts these hardened men with the truth. He tells them that their lips sound like they love God, but in truth, their hearts are far from God. You know, sometimes uh, maybe when an outsider or someone who's never been here before comes into this gathering and they see the, the singing, the singing to God and, and the uh, uh, and, and our songs are all kind of, I love you, Jesus. Jesus, you're awesome. You're cool. And, and someone, you know, I kind of wonder if they walk in and they kind of go, wow, this is kind of like a makeout session with God. And, and I, should I close my eyes? Should I, I feel a little embarrassed, like I'm intruding or something. Is this kind of private? Or, uh, and, you know, when, when you think about this whole, that kind of thought or that illustration, it, and you know our world. I know our world. You know, there's, there's people that they make out, but they don't love the person they're making out with. In fact, they'll go out the next night with someone else and make out with them. Well, in the same sense, the Pharisees were going off and having make-out sessions with their traditions and, the, and the, the honor and praise that they got from men. And so, you know, I think there's a question here for us. You know, do any of us come here and say, I love you, God, with our lips and then go off and have a makeout session with 
our addiction, a makeout session with our job, a makeout session with a relationship, a makeout session with a computer screen. You know, can we line up our heart, mind, and mouths to show love to God beyond this moment here on a Sunday morning? Does it go beyond this? I mean, have you ever asked, how do I express love to God other than coming and standing in a gathering, listening or singing? I mean, are you divided in your love instead of devoted in your love? You know, God is not far from each one of us, but do you keep your heart far from him, hidden? This is the kind of thing that Jesus was going after with these guys. And I just want to say at this point, I, I know that um, this message, and especially what we're looking at for what Jesus said right here, and repeating it and talking about it here in this setting, uh, there's some of you who are just, you're just always sensitive to spiritual things, sensitive to God, sensitive to his word, and so you take everything and you receive it. And, and today, you know, this really may not be for you. <laughs> um, and, 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 and I just want to say also, there's, there's others of you here that, that kind of, you kind of got some callus on your heart, and you got, you got some callus on your ears, callus on your eyes, and, and really today, today's for you. And so I just want to say that up front, that I just kind of wonder if, if the sensitive to God are just going to keep being more sensitive, and the hardened to God are just going to keep being more hardened. And I'm really praying that God will break through, break through some of that callus, that hardness, and that you'll really be able to hear and you'll really be able to see. Because that, that's what Jesus was doing. That's why he was saying such hard things to these men. And there were some from the Pharisees that did believe, that came to Christ. You remember Nicodemus? There was another man named, named Joseph, Arimathea. They were the two that took Jesus down from the cross. After his death, they finally went public with their trust and their faith in him. So it's not impossible. And I know that God's word is powerful. So I pray you'll listen. Jesus went on to say, you have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. You know, tradition can become a killer of faith. You know, it happens when we, we do what Jesus described the Pharisees did. You, know, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in, in order to observe your own traditions. You know, the Pharisees begin to see their traditions and the pure commands of God as one. They did, like Isaiah talked about in Isaiah chapter 1, they had mixed water with pure wine and diluted it into a worthless drink. That's what they had done, watered down faith. You know, the same has happened here in many American churches. Not all, but in some. But there is this mixing of tradition with the pure word of God. And then you add hearts that are far from God, and that has resulted in not just hurting the church, but has hurt our culture around us by inoculating people to, to the Christian faith. Tradition, along with hearts far from God, is diluted Christianity. I don't even know whether I should even say, use the word Christianity. It's a diluted religious mess. That's what it is. It is like a dead strain of a virus that you inject into a person so they don't catch the living strain of that virus. They're inoculated. That's what has happened here in America. People are immune to Christianity because they've experienced some dead form of it sometime in their lifetime. 
But look, people, we can't be that dead form of lip service on Sunday, showing up and going through the motions with hearts far from God. I don't want to have anything to do with that kind of diluted religious mess. I want the real, potent virus of Christianity. I want the source of it. I want Jesus. I want to be infected with him, his DNA replicating in me so that his presence, his power, and his love is resonating in my life 24-7, not just on a Sunday morning. And if you don't want to catch that kind of contagion of Jesus, then I suggest you go and find some other church, some place where you can hide your heart and go offer your lip service to him some other place. Because this is where we are trying to nurture the real, living, viral, potent Christian faith. And it's multiplying here. So watch out. You might catch it. In the next part of this conversation, Jesus warns his followers that it's not what you eat or digest that makes you unclean. It's not a matter of the stomach. It's a matter of the heart and what comes out of your heart that makes you unclean. Jesus says, what comes out of a man or woman is what makes him unclean. Far for within, out of men's hearts come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. <coughs> I, I, I want to remind you, that is not a list that I made up. That is not a list that the church has made up. That is something that Jesus said, that these things are within us. Now, I know that you might look at that and you might just kind of shut out or deflect that. <coughs> Excuse me. But I just want to ask, have you ever experienced greed? I have. Have you ever experienced arrogance? I have. Have you ever had evil thoughts? I have. Check. I mean, I can go down that list. Check, 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 check. Jesus says, this came from inside me not from the outside. And I just want to ask, do you really believe that? Or is this the part where you say, well, I believe mankind is basically good. If so, if that's the kind of thing you're saying in your head and saying to your heart, then you must think that it's outside influences that have caused you to do or think evil. Shift the blame. Evasion. You know, that's what the Pharisees were doing earlier. Ignoring the commands of God for their traditions. Is your tradition, your traditional belief that man is basically good? Are you going to hang on to that instead of hanging on to what Jesus says? His word. Then you might possibly be evading the commands of God. You might be evading the whole need for Jesus. If you and I are basically good, then why does Jesus have to die on the cross? If I'm basically good, then there's no need for me to be crucified with Christ. There's no need for the demolition of this old life so that the new life of Christ can be transplanted in me. Look, you know, to take the view that mankind has evil or a corrupt nature on the inside, like Jesus describes, doesn't mean that sometimes mankind reflects goodness. We do. Every one of us is made in God's image whether we have Christ in us or not. That's Genesis chapter 1 right from the beginning. But Jesus describes 
that there is a basic corrupted nature in us that has to be replaced with a new nature. And I'm telling you, if, if you don't get that straight in your brain, you're going to get caught up in this pull yourself up by your bootstraps kind of faith that'll get you nowhere. It'll leave you dead on the inside. And I know that maybe that sounds counterintuitive to say that I'm, there's bad stuff in me. I don't want to say that I'm bad. Humility. It's hard sometimes. Well, I want to read the rest of Mark 7 and into chapter 8 here. It goes like this. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an evil spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First let the children eat all they want, he told her. For it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she replied. But even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And then he told her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of Decapolis. There some people brought a man to him who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged him to place his hand on the man. After he took him aside away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven with a deep sigh and said to him, Ephephatha, which means be open. At this, the man's ears were open. His tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone, but the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the dumb speak. Chapter 8, during those days, another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They've already been with me three days and have had nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. (coughs) His disciples answered, but where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. (coughs) Excuse me. So they get the crowds to sit down. Jesus asks God's blessing, passes the food out. It multiplies feeds 4,000 people. Seven basketfuls are gathered. And then they get in the boat and they leave the region. And on the other side of the lake, the Pharisees come and they begin to question Jesus, to test him. And they asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, why does this generation ask for a miraculous sign? I tell you the truth, no sign will be given to it. Then he left them, got back in the boat and crossed to the other side. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, it's because we have no bread, isn't it? (laughs) Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, 
Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Thank you, Miles. Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? They came to Bethsaida, and people brought him a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people, and they look like trees walking around. Once more, sorry, that's my Appalachian accent there. I don't know how to do a Middle Eastern accent. So once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were open, his sight restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't go into the village. Well, if you believe people are basically good, you'll probably have a hard time with the next, this next part. As Jesus implies that a, a Greek Phoenician woman is a dog. You ever read that part? Ever trouble you? The truth is, is that we're all dogs, and you need to put yourself in the place of that Phoenician woman instead of putting yourself outside of her place. You see, we're all beggars at the table before God. None of us were born with rights of children to sit at the table. None of us. But we've been invited through Christ to sit at the table as adopted children. So don't get distracted by this children and dog metaphor that, that Jesus was using. Because Jesus, we see in the Gospels and other places, he was kind to women. He was kind to Gentiles. He was kind to foreigners and people of other races. And I think the thing to note is, is maybe what St. Ambrose said about this incident. He said, if God invariably listened to every supplicant equally, he might appear to us to act from some necessity rather than from his own will. You see, God doesn't have to he wants to, and he wanted to for this woman to help her. This woman did elicit the Lord's compassion. You know, the Lord's first reply to the woman moved her to an even, even deeper cry. She didn't hold back when Jesus offered silence. She humbled herself, not ashamed to admit that she was like a dog begging before him. And I just want to ask, are we willing to humble ourselves before God in the same way? still approaching in faith and humility, even when the Lord is silent. I want to come back to the, the healings of the deaf and blind man and, and look to Jesus' words before he miraculously feeds the 4,000. Listen to what he says. I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days have had nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they'll collapse along the way because some of them have come a long distance. Jesus was thinking about them. Jesus wasn't just thinking about his schedule, the next thing to do on his to-do list. He wasn't thinking about the next class he had to teach. He wasn't thinking about whether these fickle students were actually going to remember everything he taught. He, Jesus was thinking about the welfare of these people. He was imagining them walking home after they had been together. After he had departed and left, he was imagining them walking home from this remote place, and he was concerned that they might not make it without some food. 
compassion. The nature of love is that it is other-directed. It is other-focused. Have you ever thought about some of the other people that work around you? Or maybe you're at, you're at your school or your neighborhood and imagined what they're doing when you're not there with them. Imagine what their lives might be like, what kind of joys or sorrows they might be going through. Jesus was doing that kind of imagining in his mind. And there was compassion that erupted for, from him as he imagined these people and what they might be doing on their journey home. Jesus had compassion. The disciples seemed to have no imagination. <laughs> and they seemed to have no memory either, as if they had totally forgotten the feeding of the 5,000. You know, if you lack compassion, maybe don't specifically ask for compassion, but pray God would stimulate your imagination for others. That you'd stop thinking about yourself and think about other people. That he would freshen your memory of his power and his ability to do things beyond your ability. Compassion. It's other-focused. It imagines. Another Pharisee encounter, and then Jesus warns his disciples about a small and hidden thing that may have vast effects later, like yeast does with dough. The Pharisees had just asked for a sign from heaven. I mean, this is just right on the heels of him feeding 4,000 people. And Jesus reminds the disciples of the signs that they've already seen. The feeding of the 5,000 and the recent feeding of the 4,000. The, the disciples are confused as, as to what the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of Herod was. And Jesus asked his disciples, if you got eyes, they don't work. You got ears, pull the wax out. And what they didn't see is that the small hidden things in the Pharisee in the Pharisees and in Herod that had vast effects later was pride and unbelief. Pride and unbelief. They did not see themselves as beggars before God's table. They ignored the inside of their lives and took pride in how they looked on the outside. They believed the lie that they were good with God because of their outward observances but their hearts weren't aligned with God or bowed in humility before God. You know, we kind of take up the same attitude sometimes. We start dividing people into good people and bad people, right people and wrong people, liberal people, conservative people, open-minded, closed-minded, bigoted, blah, 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 and we try to divide people up in these two categories. You know what? Jesus doesn't do that. You know what his categories are? the humble and the proud. And you know who's in? The humble's in and the proud is out. And that's the danger of this little yeast called pride. That little yeast of unbelief. I'm not that bad. I'm really a good person. I don't really need to come to God begging like a dog. Well, you got to watch out for it. Root out those things that will eventually cripple your faith. Get rid of it now. But what, what did the disciples continue to see as they followed Jesus? And after this conversation, they not only saw Jesus miraculously feed the hungry, 
but make the deaf hear. They saw him and were there and witnessed him make the blind see. These two miraculous healings that sandwich the warning about pride and belief are, are really interesting. We've, we looked at instances where Jesus would just speak a word and the person would be healed. Uh, like the paralytic who was brought down through the roof. Jesus didn't touch him, just spoke, got up, walked away. Or not having to be in the presence of the sick or the disabled person to even heal them. Like uh, the Phoenician woman. He drove out the demon and the daughter was miles away. But in both of these miraculous healings where friends brought these men in need, a blind man and a deaf man, Jesus takes both of these men aside from the crowd, leading them by his hand. We, we've seen in the past in, the, in this gospel how people would try to reach out to Jesus and touch him and they were healed. But this time, in both instances, Jesus reaches out and touches them. To us, you know, there's, there's something really strange about the, Jesus adding to this touch his spit. That just seems weird to us. But it was as if the man's tongue was rusted shut. And Jesus' spit was like oil that loosened the man's mouth so that it could open and speak. It was as if Jesus' spit to that man's eyes was like some sort of healing salve or ointment. And it removed the film off of his eyes so that he could see. Jesus took special steps with these men. Not just speaking a word, but privately taking them aside and offering his holy touch to his ears, his mouth, and their eyes. I know some of you get so frustrated because you feel like, man, I open up the word and it's just like, I just don't feel like he's talking to me. Or I, I, I come and I worship and my heart just seems dead. And I'm praying with you. I'm praying with you that he's just going to take you aside and offer his holy touch. I'm praying he's going to spit on you <laughs> some way, some strange and holy way that he will. And that oil, that oil of the spirit Waken things up and loosen up those rusted joints of your spirit. Open up like, like the salve and on your eyes that heal whatever is wrong there so you can see. And in all these things that Jesus has done here, we see the fulfillment of the Messiah's mission and we see his vision coming to be. That's what we've been seeing in the Gospel of Mark. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to the captives and recovery of sight for the blind, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Would you like to make an exchange like that? Give away the despair for that gladness? When Jesus read that portion of Isaiah and identified it as his mission and his vision, he said to those listening, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And that today was from that day forward to this very day. Jesus has been fulfilling that vision and is still fulfilling that vision here today. Now that's really good news if you're poor in spirit. 
If you're haughty, prideful, that's eh, just words. It's pretty good news if your change is something that you want to be freed of. Otherwise, it's just words. It's good news if you're brokenhearted or in physical need. He can bind up your heart for healing and he can provide your daily bread. It's good news if you're grieving or you're mourning or you need justice. It's good news if you see yourself in in the ashes or been dressed in despair. Jesus has the oil of gladness that can loosen your tongue to praise and open your spiritual ears to hear. He has that healing salve, that ointment, so you can see everything clearly. Don't let your pride, don't let your unbelief just see spit. Don't evade the command of God to change and come into his kingdom like little children. Don't evade seeing yourself as a beggar before God by hanging on to your traditional man beliefs and philosophies of the world. Concern yourself with the inside, not just the heart, not just outward appearances. Be concerned of what's in here. Is your heart far from God because it's been inoculated with some dead strain of churchism, some religious mess? Seek the healing of Christ, the living, viral, potent, contagious, authentic faith. That's what we need. We need Jesus right here in our midst. In the next few moments, Nate and the band are going to be playing a song. And as they play this song, I just want us to, to be still before God. Just to open up your heart before him if you can. To come humbly like a beggar. To come like a little child. Lord, I need to see. I need to hear. I need to make that exchange. That exchange where I give you what is worthless. These ashes. These clothes of despair. And I need what you have to offer me. There are people here who have that viral faith in Jesus. And you just need to get around them. Some of you need to get around them. Because even though they don't have the title of pastor or reverend or minister, they are ministers of God. And as servants of Jesus, they can bring you before Jesus. And Jesus wants to take you aside and offer his touch. You need to get around some of these contagious people. And maybe you'll understand this whole idea of wanting to restore places long devastated and renewing ruined cities. It's because they've met the master builder who has renovated their lives It's not just about the renovation of buildings, but Jesus renovating the hearts of people. These people who got this viral Jesus faith, they've got new eyes and they see like Jesus with compassion. Not some sort of altruistic humanitarian thing, but real care for individuals with an imagination and vision for people. Know that this isn't a place where you're going to be rejected if you come weak. If you come vulnerable, you're you're here with a bunch of wounded healers already, people that have experienced that. They're people with vision, vision of what could be and should be. Jesus makes amazing exchanges with us, giving beauty for ashes, gladness for our mourning. Next few moments, let's, let's just make some of those exchanges with Jesus.